0: All right. Good morning. Good Good to see everybody. So today we are starting a new sermon series. But actually, it's more correct to say that we're continuing an old sermon series. Uh, Hopefully, I know there's a lot of new faces here, but hopefully some of you remember that between October and December 2017, we did a series on Genesis chapters 1 through 11. That was uh, Genesis part one. And on December 31st, 2017, we did the Tower of Babel story. And I said, I promise we're going to pick this up eventually. We're going to come back to the book of Genesis. And so 14 months later, I'm making good on my promise. And we are are picking up basically where we left off uh, with the story of Abraham, who is a very important figure in the history of our faith. But before we get into the life of Abraham, I want to remind us of what we learned in Genesis 1 through 11. I guess I was advancing. I didn't even realize it. Um, So we talked about a lot in those 11 chapters. But if I were to summarize the big idea of Genesis 1 through 11 as succinctly as possible, it would be this. Despite humanity's failures, God refuses to give up on his creation project. Despite humanity's failures, God refuses to give up on his creation project. Now, what do I mean by the creation project? Well, when I say creation project, I mean God's plan to make a world that is beautiful and good and full of life, in which human beings serve as his representatives. Human beings have a special role to play. Uh, You might remember that in Genesis chapter 1, from the beginning, human beings are said to be created in God's image. Nothing else in creation is made in God's image, just human beings. And there's a lot of debate over what exactly it means to be made in God's image, but the essence of it, I believe, is that we are called to reflect the character of God to the rest of creation. We are supposed to be like God's representatives, almost like we're second command in creation. Now, I am not suggesting that we are somehow equal with God or that we should think of ourselves as as gods. Okay, we we are not. We're always supposed to be submitted to God, the highest authority. But we do have this special ability to reflect uh, the character of God and even to an extent the the ability to rule over our surroundings uh, that God has, a shadow of that. Um, so, we're supposed to reflect God's will. We're supposed to reflect God's good and generous nature. We're supposed to reflect God's freedom and, and God's creativity. But Genesis 1 through 11 describes human beings as repeatedly misusing our power and failing to live up to the role that God has called us to fulfill. Adam and Eve fail when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we reap the consequences of that. Um, Cain fails when he kills his brother Abel. The whole human race fails when we become so filled with violence and wickedness that God sends a flood to cleanse the world. And the one human family that... God preserves, they fail too. I don't know if you remember when we looked at Noah's family after the flood, but they were a train wreck, right? Noah got drunk and and passed out, and then his son dishonored him in some way, which the text isn't exactly clear about, but you can kind of let your imagination run wild on what happened there. And and then Noah gets so upset when he wakes up that he curses his son and his son's whole family line. And this is the best that humanity has to offer, right? Right? But, but through all of this failure, God refuses to give up on his creation project. He never says, you know what, let's forget about the human part of the creation project because that's not working out so well. Let's, let's get rid of human beings and just keep the creatures who aren't so dangerously free and powerful. God never says that. God keeps working with humanity. God keeps working with us. And that's good, for, good news for us now, right? Because it reminds us that God doesn't give up on us here and now either. And so that brings us to Abraham. Uh, you might say that Abraham's story is the beginning of a new phase in God's creation project. Part of God's plan to get humanity on track, fulfilling our role as his representatives, is to create a new nation. And Abraham is called to be the one at the start of that new nation, the father of that new nation. So let's look at what God says when he calls Abraham. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Genesis chapter 12 starting in verse 1. Now, before we read this, I want to comment on one thing that could be confusing for you. You might notice that in this passage, Abraham is referred to as Abram. Now, eventually, God is going to give him the name Abraham. Uh, That comes later in the story, but for right now, he's called Abram. Now, Abram means father, and Abraham means father of many. Or as Tim Keller says, Abram means daddy. Abraham means big daddy. <laughs> and God renames Abraham to emphasize how fruitful his legacy is going to be. Because from Abraham are going to come many sons and daughters, both uh, physically speaking, genetically speaking, and spiritually speaking. Abraham is going to be the father of many descendants. So, But don't get confused. Abram, Abraham, same guy. Okay, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples, On earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, My hope for this entire series on Abraham is not just that it would be some sort of exercise in learning Abraham's story, some sort of acquiring of biblical knowledge. I want it to be more than that. I want it to be a series where we are challenged by Abraham's story and inspired to, in some way, change our own story, uh, to behave differently. And so with that in mind, I want to challenge us this week to think about three questions. These are three challenging questions. I really, even if you don't normally take notes, I do encourage you to write these down this week because my my application for this week is really just going to be to think and reflect and pray about these three questions. So the first question Abraham's call should inspire us to ask is, what place of comfort might God be calling me to leave? What place of comfort might God be calling me to leave? God says to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. The King James Version says, get thee out of these things. And we need to realize what a difficult command this is. Because Abraham is being asked to leave nearly everything that would be familiar to him. His culture, his people group, and his extended family. Now, I think this would be a tough command for anybody in any time in history to leave those things. But it was especially tough command in those days because your identity was so tied to your family and people weren't as mobile as they are now, you know, you couldn't just get on a plane and go somewhere far away. Nowadays, uh, our identity tends to be tied more to our career than in the past, so it's not too unusual if you have a job opportunity that's on the other side of the country or even the world far away from your family to go and follow that career opportunity, but in Abraham's day, that was not Normal. It was, it was normal to be born somewhere, to live there, and to die there. Right? Um, you stayed in or near your father's household. That was your identity. It was your security, your comfort. Uh, you did the family work. You ate the family food. And you worshiped the family's gods. And that last one is a really important one. And it would have been something that would be a big problem for Abraham. In the chapter right before this, we're told that Abraham was born in Ur of the Chaldeans. And this is easy for us to miss if we don't know about the history of things, but to say that someone was born in Ur of the Chaldeans for the Jews who would read this was like saying Abraham was born in Babylon. And if you know anything about Babylon in the history of Israel, Babylon is not thought of as a good or righteous place, right? In fact, Babylon eventually becomes like a a synonym for wickedness. It's it's kind of like saying he was from Vegas. (laughs) Babylon is associated with evil, and specifically it's associated with idol worship. Babylon is a place of idol worship. And Abraham's family, they were idol worshipers. And there's several reasons we know this. One is because there are places in the Bible outside of Genesis that specifically say that Abraham's family uh, were idol worshipers. But one clue we have here, besides just where they're from, is Abraham's father's name. Abraham's father is named Terah, which means moon. And that's very significant because the idol that was worshipped the most in Ur of the Chaldeans was the moon. They practiced lunar worship. So Abraham comes from a family where the father is named after the primary idol in a land of idol worship. This is the man who is called to be at the start of the nation of Israel. This is is a remarkable thing. And so for Abraham, idolatry would have been comfortable and familiar, right? But then the voice of the true and the living God speaks to Abraham and says, Get thee out! Leave what's comfortable and familiar and go where I am leading you. Now, if Abraham had valued comfort too much, he never would have obeyed that command, right? He would have stayed home, stayed with the culture, stayed with the idols. But thankfully, he recognized that there are things that are more important than being comfortable. And I think this is really important for us to recognize uh, because we live in a time when many people think that really nothing is more important than being comfortable. I saw an article this week, I'm not making this up, uh, that said that the sales of breakfast cereal are down like $4 billion over the last 10 years. And they've done some research, the cereal companies, on why this is. And one of the answers that they get commonly is because people think it's too much of an inconvenience to clean up the bowl and spoon after eating cereal. No, really, I read this, Okay. (laughs) This was an article in, uh, it was in Fortune. So, in a culture where people can actually say that with a straight face, I just don't want to deal with the mess of of eating cereal. uh, We're definitely a culture that values ease and comfort and convenience. And the church is not immune to this kind of thinking. In fact, you know, I hate to say this, but... I really think that a large percentage of the prayers that are prayed essentially boil down to, God, make me more comfortable, please. And I'm not saying all of those prayers are bad, but if they're the only kind of prayers that we pray, something's wrong. We might have a problem with idolizing comfort. I receive a daily devotional from a uh, Christian writer named Sky Jitani. It's a devotional that I would recommend. It's called With God Daily. And uh, this last week, he talked about how one of the difficult truths about life is that without some struggle, we don't mature. doesn't happen. And we definitely don't grow spiritually. Uh, our faith is kind of like a muscle. And if it doesn't do any work, then it atrophies, right? That's how muscles work. If you... Uh, If you say, the most important thing for my muscles is to keep them comfortable, then if you do that long enough, they just turn into useless blobs, right? If you you want your muscles to be healthy, you actually have to put them through some discomfort. You have to put them through some work. And then they get stronger. And the same is true for our spiritual muscles. We have to do some work. We have to go through some discomfort, some pain, some trial if we're going to grow. It just You can't get to spiritual maturity without going through some, some pain. That's just the way it is. So, thankfully, Abraham didn't value comfort so highly that he wasn't willing to make a sacrifice. And so the story of Abraham should inspire us to ask, um, whoops, what place of comfort might God be calling me to leave? You know, It could be a job that we're comfortable in, but we know that God is really calling us to something else. Um, It could be an addiction to drugs or alcohol or gambling. It could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend that we know is not really good for us, but we've grown comfortable in that relationship. It could literally be our parents' household. Uh, It could be It could just be a lifestyle of routinely filling up our time with meaningless activities. Um, It could even be the country we live in. We might be very comfortable in our country, but God is actually calling us to go somewhere else. I don't know what place of comfort God might be asking you to leave. I, I don't know that. But I will say this. If that question is asked and something does immediately come to your mind, do pay attention to that. You know, pray on that, reflect on that, because the Holy Spirit might be trying to tell you something. And let me remind all of us that age doesn't exempt us from this question, or the next two questions, because Abraham, it says, was 75. Did you catch that? He was 75 when he left his father's household. You know, that's... He was there for a while. (laughs) I I thought I was there for a while. Um, Now, granted, Genesis does say that people lived a lot longer then. But if you look at the genealogy in the previous chapter and you compare Abraham's age to the age of the recent generations when they died, Abraham is still at least middle age. He's not a young man by any stretch. So... We don't get to say, I'm too old to change. It doesn't matter what age we are, God still might be calling us to leave a place of comfort for something new. All right, let's move to the second question Abraham's call should lead us to ask, which is, what unknown might God be calling me to step into? What unknown might God be calling me to step into? Remember, God says to Abraham, Leave and go to the land I will show you. Notice he doesn't say, Go to the land that I have shown you. Go to the land that I've shown you the nice pictures of. Right? He just says, Go to the land I will show you. You know, Abraham didn't know for sure where he was headed. He had an idea of the direction, but specifically, he didn't know where he was going to end up. As far as as we know, he wasn't given any kind of vision of the land, at least not at this point. And often, God does something similar with us. Okay, Often, uh, God calls us to start moving, even where we're not sure where we're going. Uh, In my experience, God almost never reveals what's three or four steps down the road. He just reveals the next step that we're supposed to take. Uh, Psalm 119, 105. This is a, a verse that's been important in my life. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's a very interesting choice of words when you think about it. The psalmist is saying that God's word is like a lamp that lights up the space right in front of your feet. Okay? Uh, and so you know when you're walking in the dark, where's the safe place to step next. But a lot of us, we don't, we don't want a lamp to our feet, right? We want a spotlight that illuminates everything that's going to happen in the future so we know what's, exactly what's coming years and decades ahead, right? Uh, we don't want God to just say to us, follow me to the land I will show you, right? We want God to show us pictures of the land and give us an estimate of how much it's worth, and, you know? And we don't want God to just say, follow me to the career I will lead you to. We, we want to know how much schooling it's going to take, and we want to know, know how, what the starting pay is going to be, and we want to know how long we're going to have to work there before we can retire. Right? Uh, we don't want God to just say, follow me as you deal with this cancer diagnosis. We want to know, am I going to be healed We want to know how long am I going to have to deal with this? We want to know is insurance going to cover all of my needs? You know, we don't want to just hear God say, follow me as you raise your kids. We want to know are my kids going to turn out okay? Are they going to be spared from disease and violence? You know, are they going to grow up to be mature, functional adults? But however much we might want that spotlight that shines into the future and reveals everything, I think God's usual mode of operation is not to give us that. God's usual mode of operation is just to show us where to put the next footstep on that path. His word is a lamp to our feet. And, And that means that often, like Abraham, we're called to start walking down a path where we know what the first step is, but we don't know the whole way. We don't know the twists and turns that are going to come down the road. We don't know the challenges that we're going to face, but God asks us to take that next step and to trust him along the way. So, again, I encourage us to ask that question, what unknown might God be calling me to step into? And another way to phrase that would be, what risk might God be calling me to take? And again, it is not a question I can answer for you. I don't, I don't know what it is for you. But again, if, if there's something that you hear some answer in your head when that question is asked, t- take that seriously. Okay? Pray about it. Reflect on it. These things are often discerned in community, or they should be. So if there's somebody you know who also follows Jesus, talk to them about it. Say, this is what I'm hearing from God. What do you think of that? You know, don't just ignore it. Deal with it. And then finally, a third question that Abraham's call should lead us to ask ourselves is, what impossibility might God be calling me to trust him with? What impossibility might God be calling me to trust him with? God promised Abraham something that he would have thought of as impossible. He promised to bring a great nation from Abraham. And that would have seemed impossible because in order to have a great nation descend from you, you need some descendants, right? And at this point, Abraham is 75 and he has no descendants. We were told in the previous chapter, 1130, it said, now Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren. She had no children. That detail is very important. That's not there by accident, That's there to let us know that God is about to tell Abraham that something's going to happen that he would have thought of as impossible. I I have to imagine that for Abram, this would have been uh, very disappointing that he had no children because his name, after all, was Father, right? That seems kind of like a cruel joke, doesn't it? But then God says to this childless man, You're going to have a great nation of descendants. Right? God says to a man who must have assumed that uh, his memory would end with his death, He says, I'm going to make your name great. Now, Abraham could have said, You know, God, you must have the wrong guy. My wife and I have been trying for like 50 years and we've not, we have not had one child, not one, are you seriously calling me to leave everything that's comfortable, everything that's familiar, in the promise that I will have a great nation of descendants? That is just too much of a stretch. I'm, I'm sorry, God, but the evidence is overwhelming. I don't have children. I'm not going to have children, so I think I'll stick with what's comfortable. I'll stick with my country, my people, my father's household. Thank you very much. You could hardly fault him for saying that, right? But he doesn't say that. He trusts God, and he follows him. He trusts him with an impossibility. Now, just to be clear, I'm not telling us to, like, pick something that we think is impossible, and then trust God that we'll be able to do it. You know, I want to go to the moon in a hot air balloon, so I'm <laughs> going to trust God with that, and that's going to be my... My exercise of faith. Um, (laughs) There's no value in trusting God for an impossibility that he hasn't called us to trust in him for. See what I'm saying? So (laughs) we have to trust him for something that he's calling us to believe. Uh, Otherwise, it's never going to happen. But God does sometimes call us to trust him for things that we would think are impossible. Right? For example, you might think it is impossible for your marriage to be salvaged. Right? You, might, you might think that you and your spouse have just grown too far apart, trust has been damaged, uh, there's no spark, no chemistry, no life, but God is calling you to believe that he can breathe life into your marriage, that he can restore it. Or maybe it seems impossible that you could ever break free from an addiction to drugs, or alcohol, or pornography. And God is calling you to trust that freedom really is possible. You know, he's calling you to trust that life doesn't always have to be like this. Yes, it may take a struggle to become free, but God wants you to believe that freedom actually is possible. And maybe it seems impossible to you that someone you know would ever be interested in following Jesus. Maybe there's somebody you know, a friend or family member, who you just think they would never care at all about anything spiritual. Maybe the thought has crossed your mind, oh, maybe I should try to share my faith with them or just invite them to church, and then immediately you've just thought, no, that's not going to work. That would be dumb. This person is impossible to reach. They just think it's stupid that I even asked, so I won't try. But God is calling you to believe that no person is beyond hope of redemption. Now I'm not saying you should just try to force your faith on them, but I'm saying don't decide for them whether they're interested or not. Be willing to to share. Be willing to take a risk. Be willing to trust God for an impossibility. And again, like with those last two questions, I don't know what the answer is for you. I'm not sure, but if something comes to your mind, don't ignore it. Pray about it, reflect on it, talk to someone. Now, before we close this morning, I want to talk briefly about the promises that God makes to Abraham. Now, of course, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name something that people are going to remember for generations. But what I want us to notice is is that that is not the greatest promise that God makes to Abraham. The purpose of God's call is not to boost Abraham's ego. Uh, The purpose is not to remedy his childlessness. That's not the purpose. The purpose is not to um, create a new nation through him that's bigger and better and badder than every other nation. The real purpose of the blessings given to Abraham, the purpose of God's call, is revealed in the last promise, which is all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's the end game. That's God's real aim here, okay? It's not just to bless one people group, but the whole world. And that's so important for us to recognize because this is not some sort of justification for idolatrous nationalism. Okay? The attitude that my country is the best, it's the baddest, who cares about all the other countries? You know, we are the nation that's you know, God's nation. It's not a justification for that kind of thinking because God's aim, his whole purpose here, is to bless all people groups. Now, he's using the nation of Israel to do that, yes. But the end game is not just to create this awesome nation of Israel. It's to bless the whole world. And so, okay, as we try to answer our three questions this week, we have to ask ourselves some follow-up questions. And so there's a space on your outline for these two. But one follow-up question is, does my answer help to bless others? If something's coming to my mind, The thing I'm thinking, is there a chance that this is actually going to lead to blessing for other people besides myself? Because you could think, oh, God wants me to step into the unknown, but your motivation could be entirely selfish. And if that's the case, it's probably not God, the Spirit of God, leading you. Just as the Spirit of God wasn't leading Abraham just to satisfy his selfish desires, right? Right? But there's also a second question that we have to ask. It's a more specific version of the first one, which is, will my answer help to point people to Jesus? The thing that I'm thinking of when I ask those three questions, will it help to point people to Jesus if I act on it? You see, today we know that the way that God blessed the whole world through Abraham was through Jesus Christ, right? God set Abraham apart, and through Abraham came this special nation that had a special relationship with God, and the whole purpose was to provide the context for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to be born. And it's through Jesus Christ that people of every tribe and nation and tongue have opportunity to be forgiven of their sins, to be freed from the curse of death, right? So we have to ask ourselves, the thing that I'm thinking of doing, the change that I'm thinking of making, the thing that I'm trusting God with, if I do it, is it in any way going to help point people to Jesus? Is it going to help lead to others' blessing the way that God wants them to be blessed? So, some messages, you know, they have a, a, a very practical application. This is what we need to do. I've said it already. I've said it again. This message doesn't really have that. This message asks questions, and that it encourages all you guys to take the time to pray and reflect and ask God, What do you want me to do? So I encourage all of us, I encourage myself as well this week take some time, reflect, pray, and I will also be praying that God speaks and it leads to some great things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you called Abraham. And we thank you that Abraham obeyed. And Lord, we pray that we would be open to being called and led by you. To be led in ways that sometimes lead us to sacrifice our comfort, that sometimes lead us to step into the unknown and to trust you for things that seem impossible. God, give us an openness to walk with that kind of faith. And Lord, I pray for each person here um, that if they take the time to really reflect on these questions, Lord, that you would, you would speak. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and give us a willingness to act on what, on what you, you tell us. We want to hear from you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.